0: Welcome to another episode. Today we're going to talk about Tools, Undertow and Flaming Lips, Yoshimi Battles the Pink Robots, and I have my friend Martin Nelson joining us. How's it going, Martin? Yeah, very good, mate. How are you? Yeah, good, thanks. Thanks for joining me. Quick turnaround on your end as well, which has been appreciated compared to the normal guests. I just want to put that <laughs> out there. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, do you just want to introduce yourself quickly?
1: Yeah, I suppose I'll, I'll introduce like how we know each other, I guess so yeah i met james where did we meet we met trying to get on like a little shitty minibus thing in lao or cambodia or god knows where um and we've kind of vaguely been in touch since then uh so i live in cornwall have lived in new zealand and lived in hampshire and stuff and uh, yeah that's that's all there is to know i guess
0: i was talking to someone about that that minivan ride over the mountains in it must have been lao I think,
1: what did we get on the minibus in Cambodia? Was it, the, was it the bus from Cambodia to Laos?
0: No, I think it was from Luang Prabang to Vang Veng. It was from Luang Prabang,
1: yes, you were right, yeah, to Vang Veng.
0: Yeah, um, and then when we arrived in Vang Veng, they were handing out those um, flyers for the double meat. Burgers. The double-baked meat, yeah. <laughs> double-baked meat, that's it. <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> and then, because we had there, this would be... Well, it won't make much sense to other people, but that shitty hotel room, hostel room, sorry, with Mofo coming out, throwing his fucking toilet paper straight into the fan.
1: <laughs> oh, God. Holy shit. Well, I, honestly, that that probably goes down as the most surreal few days of my life from like when we were first getting onto that minivan, because I didn't have a proper ticket or they'd sold too many tickets and they were trying to tell me that I didn't have a ticket because there were too many people on it. Cause then they just kind of got like a pop-up chair and told me to sit on that on this minivan. Yeah. And and yeah, then like the scariest drive on earth, like a fundamental issue with like <laughs> with predominantly Buddhist cultures is the, is the feeling that, you know, if it's my time to die, it's my time to die. When that person is your bus driver, then it means his time to die becomes everybody else's time to die. Uh So that was, yeah, a scary moment. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's interesting they take this
1: approach with other people's lives as well, isn't it?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and then
1: uh, just, yeah, the people we met there and tubing, what a, a crazy few days.
0: Yeah, yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. But to, so to move on to the music, you sent me this album. I hope I introduced the title correctly. It is The Flaming Lips, Yoshimi Battles the Pink Robots. It is indeed, yes. So I guess the first question is, why, why did you choose this album of all the albums you could have chosen
1: that that is a good question it's one that i've probably spent the last week trying to answer as well as well as listening to your album and re-listening to this album i've been wondering why i was inspired to send that as an album i think i was keen not to send you the album that i thought was the best album i'd ever listened to but it's probably the album that i would say has had one of the most profound effects on my life and i like it's, it's almost intangible as to why that is. I think like I, I couldn't directly answer the question as to why I find this album so important, but that's why I sent it to you. I thought it, it provokes enough thought in me and I wanted to see if what however many years on 18 years on from when it's released, it might still have that effect on other people or if it's very specific to me.
0: Okay. So then my initial thoughts of it were because admittedly, the first time I listened to it was last night and I was half pissed. <laughs> and okay. i had no idea what to expect because i hadn't heard of the flaming lips before right yeah so i listened to i listened to the whole album last night obviously didn't engage with it with all my mental faculties <laughs> but i enjoyed it a lot because it was this kind of weird I, I don't know what to call it but it was kind of like psych rock yeah
1: absolutely uh it's almost like a yeah i would call it like it's almost a it's almost operatic it's kind of yeah it's it's thoroughly psychedelic are very philosophical as well but yeah it's it's kind of very difficult to pin down to anything
0: yeah because that sort of well when i read the title i was like i i thought that it would be you know like a a rock opera kind of thing you know like the sort of grand narrative and then listening to the album last night i was like i was right on this one and so i listened to it another two times today Yeah. And then would read the lyrics for each song as well, so it just made a bit more sense. Yeah, did it? (laughs) (laughs) More. (laughs) More than it did last night. But it was a, a weird one to engage with in that sense because, like, I think you could keep going back to this album and just pull more and more out of it as, like, you know... For me, the first level of understanding is like just taking it at the sort of lyric level, the narrative level, and stuff like that. But then, of course, there's a musical level going on yeah. as well. And so, like the third listen just before this recording was quite different from last night and quite different from the one before. So I have enjoyed that a lot in that it's quite a multifaceted album in that sense.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think so. And I think, well, how old would I have been when I first listened to it? Like. Thirteen, I suppose. Thirty? Uh, no, that's not true. Uh, Fourteen, something like that. And I think at that stage, I found it just kind of largely the front half of the album, I found to be quite large, uh, uh, melodic and quite easily accessible. As I've gotten older, I've really started to enjoy the second half of the album more. And I've started to kind of engage with a lot more of the, the thoughtful, it's kind of very gentle probing lyrically as well to just kind of just very yeah subtle suggestions and thought-provoking ideas and I think musically it's there's nothing intimidating about it so it is easy to get at
0: when I listen to it as well I notice this difference between the first half and the second half of the album there's a I guess the breaking point for me like that I would separate that is that song in the morning of the magicians yeah,
1: so I would say, yeah, Yoshimi Battles the Pink Robots Part 2, which is what, track four or five? Is it, I think, track four? Becomes a very... So that's a, a quite definitive point, the end of that. So that is clearly the musical battle
0: with the Pink Robots. I think after that, it becomes a lot more philosophical. I get your point about that first part being a lot more accessible because the first song, what is it called? Flight Test?
1: Fight, uh, Fight Test.
0: If you, Yeah, if you take out... Like the first thirty seconds of each end, you know the the thirty seconds at the start, the thirty seconds at the end, you've almost got a pop song.
1: Yeah, you do. In fact, you very nearly got "Father and Son" by Cat Stevens.
0: Well, I didn't you, pick that one.
1: It's almost identical, and I think like at the time, the Flaming Lips didn't expect it to be a success. They didn't think the album would really go anywhere. Um, they weren't expecting like a commercial. A commercial profit from it or anything so like uh, having read interviews about it they they did eventually cat stevens sued them and he now makes 75 percent of the royalties from that song and i mean at the time i think wayne coin just said we we were borrowing from it we knew we were we never like it's not a rip-off but it is certainly kind of inspired by it and then yeah after the the legal suit Wayne Coyne just said, like, I mean, we're still not making masses of money out of this. The, the only difference is Cat Stevens now makes 75% of that fuck all. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, that is an out and out pop song. Like, that is fundamentally what that is. And I think uh, Yoshimi uh, Battle of the Pink Robots part one is, again, fundamentally just a
0: pop song. Yeah, I think that's quite clever because a lot of, especially psych rock albums or more complex albums, start with something quite abrasive or difficult to engage with. If you persist with it is fine. However, you know, if you've just got casual listeners that you're trying to get engaged with it, very difficult.
1: Yeah, yeah, completely agree. And I think my, my understanding and my enjoyment of the album has, as I said, shifted uh, shifted from that first half to actually probably getting more from the second half of the album now that I've gotten older. But I think drawing 13, 14, 15-year-old me in via the first half of the album has meant that i've kind of been able to go back to that
0: album more and more and more as i've gotten older and and understand it differently and so with the second half of the album that you say it's a bit more philosophical yeah so what do you think's happening there
1: again I've, i've probably spent years trying to um trying to work out what that is and i think it's probably i mean without going through lyrics in any detail i think it's probably a kind of a philosophical approach to understanding the first four songs if that makes sense so the first four songs being more literal directly about this girl yoshimi battling pink robots and then i think after that it's it's maybe a reflection on that and a reflection on kind of technological advancement and and where where the human
0: race is going does that make any sense it does i kind of noticed and read that it was a bit more like thought-provoking than the first part of the album yeah but i guess i'd very lightly scratch the surface of it and if like to look back at it this, from this narrative point of view that uh, the song can't remember what it's called, All We Have Is Here and Now or something similar? All We Have Is Now All We Have Is Now it sort of seemed to be like an acceptance that and like, you could be wrong with this but it's an acceptance that they'd lost to the robots and that all they have was this time that is literally right now and so what does that mean?
1: Yeah I've thought that, I've thought that it probably a lot of the second half of the album references that the robots probably won or are here to stay at least. So yeah, I definitely think that all we have is now is probably an acceptance, an acceptance of that kind of, there's nothing more we can do. Also, all we have is now, it's, it's Beach Boys effectively. Like it is so similar to the Beach Boys Pet Sounds album in these kind of complex melodies, uh, and, Quite often, minor key, thought-provoking lyrics and stuff. And yeah, I think I really like the Beach Boys' Pet Sounds album. Uh, at around the same time that I started to really enjoy the second half of uh, Flaming Lips' album, I haven't
0: actually listened to the Beach Boys' Pet uh, Sounds. So yeah, um, my dad would be fundamentally disappointed in you. A lot of music out there. That's my defence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you've
1: listened to a fair amount of
0: it. <laughs> well, yeah, maybe. But so. Then, more generally speaking, in music terms, like so, is this like so? I only know this album from the Flaming Lips. Is this like a normal Flaming Lips album?
1: I'm not sure there is such a thing as a normal Flaming Lips album. So, this was the tenth, tenth studio album, I think. The ninth studio album. So the one before, which is called the Soft Bulletin, is so completely different. So it's very kind of it's very drum heavy not much in the way of electronica at all no psychedelic stuff Uh, and it was probably their, uh, to date at that stage it was definitely their most financially successful and and critically acclaimed Uh, so it was absolutely loved by by the critics and the public alike and then they shifted completely to yoshimi which is something very brave to do for a band that had been around for so long released so many albums to stumble across something so successful and then completely change everything you did again. And then after this album, again, big shift, big shift away from the electronica and the psychedelic stuff a bit. Uh, It's all still very philosophical, but yeah, very different musically from album to album.
0: I do like when bands do that, take the decision and the, you know, like you say, it is a courageous step to change their sound and to explore new sounds.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I think it, it speaks a lot of people that just want to have or just want to keep their creative process going rather than, you know, cashing in or anything like that. I think fundamentally, it shows that they want to produce art. They don't necessarily want the success from it. They just want to produce something that they are proud of.
0: And I think a modern example of that done quite well are Arctic Monkeys. I mean, they haven't had the massive shifts. you're describing but they still well the last album tranquility base hotel casino that was a big shift from am absolutely but even am was a reasonable shift from their first two albums
1: yeah and i think for like a young band like arctic monkeys to to have the the bravery to do that when obviously the first album was came out of nowhere massive success and then to yeah to be bold enough to go like you know what if people really like us, they'll follow what we're doing rather than us following what they want. Yeah, then, of course, Radiohead Kid A comes to mind as well, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, Radiohead would probably be the primary example of just every time you're at peak uh, peak success, completely changing what you're doing. And successfully. Yes, (laughs) yeah, yeah, never failing. But then maybe that's a sign of you know phenomenally talented musicians.
0: Because in one of the other episodes, Ali and I talked about the Red Hot Chili Peppers and Metallica, yeah, And I would say there are two bands that haven't quite managed this.
1: <laughs> yeah, Chili Peppers,
0: 100%. Metallica, because so, we talked about St. Anger, and that's one of my favourite Metallica albums, which is very different from the rest of their albums. Yeah. But then they had the reaction of people didn't like it, and so they went out and tried to make their first four albums again with Death Magnetic, and it was pretty shit, really. Yes.
1: Yeah, and I, I thought that when I listened to that episode, but I thought... It's a shame that people like Metallica, who had been around for so long and, you know, led a lot of change in that time as well, to not have the kind of, to not feel confident enough in backing your own product that they couldn't kind of just staunchly defend Saint Anger and be like, no, this is what we want to do. Deal with it. Which cause like I, it? I really like Saint Anger and I would probably put it up there with And Justice for All as my two favorite Metallica albums both of which have, like, a very similar trait, which is a a lack of bass throughout.
0: And using guitars as basses, essentially. Yeah,
1: exactly, yeah, yeah. Um, And I know, like, first in anger, was it the guy from Black Sabbath joined on bass, and then they basically just turned his bass guitar off. Uh,
0: And I feel like you feel kind of bad for him. But, because Metallica had done this transition before, like, the Black album was radically different from Injustice for All. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And they had
0: backed themselves, I mean... So maybe this is a little bit different because they, instead of turning away from their success, turned into the mainstream a bit more with poppy, shorter, maybe poppy isn't quite the right word, but, you know, more <laughs> pop structures, for sure. Yeah, more pop structures and and more easily accessible. Yeah, I mean, into Sandman is, I mean, it's got a massive hook in it and stuff like that, and those hooks just did not exist in Master of Puppets or Injustice for All.
1: Yeah, it, it's probably, like, uh, closer to hair metal and aerosmith than it is to like the thrash that it had kind of been born from or was close to
0: but then they did it again with load and yeah. i really like load it's a great album
1: yeah absolutely and then i guess they tried something massively different with the s and m live album as well which is like an enormous undertaking for a band, for a rock band like metallica
0: and so yeah because that was another successful project though huge yeah but then saint anger for whatever reason because there were pockets of people who liked the black album and that grew. Well, pockets maybe not the right word for black album because it was a huge commercial success. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you know, like they steered into new audiences, and whereas with I think Saint Anger is probably the first time where they actually lost fans. Yeah. And their overall like fan base declined in size, partly because they hadn't really been active in the studio since Reload. Yeah. And then yeah, just uh, I mean, obviously they went through as a band through a few things with uh, James Hetfield dealing with his alcoholism and stuff like that. But um, the, before we get too sidetracked and turn this into a Metallica conversation, <laughs> maybe this is a good time to start talking about the album I sent you, which was Tool's Undertow. Yeah, absolutely. So are you familiar with Tool at all? I am familiar with Tool, primarily
1: uh, later albums, so I think it probably coincides exactly with the time with, with the time that we got Sky TV, which must've been like midway through secondary school, maybe early secondary school for me. So for the first time I had access to music that wasn't on the radio, cause we had all the music channels. And my brother and I at that stage, basically we just started listening to MTV2 and Kerrang. So Tool appeared sporadically on Kerrang TV, uh, so Parabola and Schism were the two songs of tools that kind of introduced me to the band and also to their music videos, which was like they were just so different because the Schism video is kind of very peculiar kind of plasticine creature. I, I mean, I can't remember it exactly anymore, but I just remember being mesmerized by the video and by the music like what what they were capable of compared to you know all the poppy shit that my friends were listening to at the time I think probably for the first time started to discover you know what sort of music I could actually listen to and what music actually fitted with my outlook and stuff like that and I I wouldn't say I was an angry teenager but bands like Tool really appealed to me and I'd downloaded, I think Napster was probably what I used to download them, which is a sign of the times. I'd downloaded Prison Sex and Sober, I think, when I was younger. So I'd listened to those quite a lot. But after you sent me the album, I realized I'd never actually listened to the whole album before. So it was interesting to listen to a band I was so familiar with, but not a lot of music that I was really familiar with.
0: I got into talk quite late, like maybe 2018, and because I'd liked... A lot of heavy metal music when I was younger, but for some reason in New Zealand, there's sort of the, like you can only like Metallica or Tool, <laughs> right? And or maybe that was just where I grew up, but it was certainly how it felt. Part of that, of course, is because Tool don't get the same airplay that Metallica get, so you get exposed to Metallica a lot quicker. But then I think Schism was the song that, well, the first one that I really listened to. I went through and sort of listened to all the Tool songs that I liked, and just it became like a, a gym playlist. <laughs> yeah, completely. That, that's one of the things I've, I've kind of scribbled a few notes. Because I was just going to the gym all the time, so it, it just made sense. But then I never actually really listened to this album, Undertow, probably until 2019. Right. Because I'd always thought of Tool as like this progressive rock band where they play, you know, like Push It on um, uh, their second album, which I forget the name of now. But, you know, like the 10 minute long songs yeah, that just it's go about, all over
1: the place. It's not Anima, is it? Is it? Or is it later?
0: No, you, you, you're right. It's on Anima. Yeah. You know, and then like even Chism's quite a long song at six minutes or so. And they're quite long and winding. All these um, time signature changes, really complex music. Yeah. And then Undertow, listening back to it, or well, listening to it is, it's not a simple album, but it's simple. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> And it's yeah, absolutely. almost just a heavy metal album. And that's it? Yeah. Yeah, I've,
1: I've scribbled a few things down about like the kind of not simplicity of it but the the more more stripped back in a few places like schism obviously things like that there is so much going on quite subtly at times but there is a huge amount going on the undertow albums just kind of in your face from minute one like absolutely just bang straight in yeah i I, like i enjoyed the album and listen i probably listened to it i think probably three times i tried to listen to it earlier on in the week But I just couldn't couldn't access it at all. I couldn't get into it, which surprised me, because when you said this is the album that you were going to send me, I was like, shit. Yeah, that's great. Awesome. Something I can really, really engage with and enjoy. And then, yeah, first time listening to it, just really struggled. Then I listened to it again a couple of days later and actually kind of absorbed some of what I was hearing. And then I listened to it maybe like an hour before an hour before we're speaking now and all of a sudden started to really kind of engage a lot more with the songs and, and start to kind of appreciate some of the lyrics and start to kind of hear a few things that I hadn't heard. are there yeah, there's a few kind of peculiarities about it. Um, one of the things that I noticed is bass lines, I know Paul D'Amore, who was the, the bassist, was initially, he was an electric guitarist. I don't know if he was rhythm or lead or anything. But you can kind of hear that sometimes through the album, that he's reluctant to play a bass line. <laughs> there's, there's quite a lot of kind of treble-driven treble, treble driven bass that just kind of matches the guitar, which is something that Rage Against the Machine obviously did quite often. But as a result, it, it just sometimes lacks a bit of complexity that the later Tool songs do have, obviously when Paul DeMoor was no longer a bass guitarist. And I've found there were a couple of times where maybe the the ordering of the album doesn't quite fit what i think would make sense so i think the first three or four songs yeah first four songs are, are like perfectly in order prison sex obviously the, there becomes a very clear religious tone or anti-religious tone probably um yep. <laughs> yeah it's not kind of a- christian rock it's not like creed or anything yeah prison sex uh and then sober like i I mean sober is probably my favorite tool song i think i think sober's sober's really good because it strips away so much that it, it really gives it like a haunting narrative like a really you can see there's a huge amount of emotional trouble there so i think that's the point at which i think yeah like this album is really progressing really well and then bottom following sober is like a brutal retort to how laid back uh sober is, or oh, laid back's the wrong word, but stripped back like bottom is just brutal from the start, so powerful um and a perfect retort. But then after that I find it gets quite samey. The next few songs are all a bit samey, and I think you could probably shift the album around a bit to make it a, a bit less repetitive like i think i switched off a few times uh as in like just zoned out through the later half of the album because i find just one song becomes the next becomes the next if that makes sense yeah 100 yeah like i just think crawl away swamp song and undertow are all a bit uh sorry uh, we're, yeah they're all a bit a bit samey And perhaps Undertow would make sense to be moved later in the album to put it just before Disgustopated. And then I think the album would probably flow better and make it easier to listen to. Yeah. I like musically, I think like they're obviously all phenomenally talented. And I think it offers something different to what else was available in 1993. Like if you think Rage Against the Machine had released first album a year or two before. Nirvana and Smashing Pumpkins are obviously just coming to the fore, but there's, there's more of a sense of self-pity about Nirvana and Smashing Pumpkins or like the grunge scene in general. There's a lot more kind of looking at your own problems and nobody liking you and that kind of thing. Whereas I think this probably takes aim externally a lot more. Like the, the challenge to religion that exists throughout the entire album is, is massive. So it's a lot more philosophical or existentially philosophical than the other metal and grunge albums at the time.
0: I want to go back to your point about the order of the album because the first few times where I listened to this album I was when I was biking around the Netherlands. Yeah. And there's like those songs, Intolerance, Prison Sex, Crawl Away, Swamp Song and Undertow. I couldn't tell you which one was which. They were like five-minute songs that sounded yeah. more or less the same, which I really enjoyed because I enjoyed every song but I was like, I don't know which one's which, and I don't know where they are in the album, and they, they didn't stick out as individual songs to me. Yes.
1: Yeah, exactly it. that's I, I've literally written the track listing here, and I've just put the Crawl Away, Swamp Song, and Undertow. I could quite easily forget where one becomes the other. Yeah. Which is why I think if you moved Undertow later in the album and moved four degrees back up to somewhere in between Crawl Away and Swamp Song, somewhere around there, then it breaks the album up a bit more, and it would probably make each one of those songs have, have a greater impact.
0: Yeah, I agree. And then your next point about the, um, the album being like a, a more, I mean, Nirvana were an angry band, of course, but like you say, it was inward directed, inward looking. I mean, there are obviously elements of this being quite inward looking, but a lot of it's just very angry. I'm angry at the world, and these are the problems I see in the world.
1: Yes, yeah, and I think that's what Nirvana and Smashing Pumpkins as well didn't do at that stage. They didn't say, I'm angry with the world because Nirvana might say, I'm angry with the world, but it's probably it'll probably end up being that it's just kind of not trying to do anything about it. Whereas this maybe takes more of a Rage Against the Machine approach of I'm angry with the world and I'm going to shout about it.
0: But those two albums are a little bit different because... I mean, Rage Against Machines, Rage Against Machines, probably my favorite album of all time. Yeah, it, it, yeah, it would be in my top five. And it's another one of those albums. Again, that that one does not take a backseat, really. Apart from maybe settle down. <laughs> yeah. But it's that one's very political, obviously. Yes. Whereas this one's a bit more, and you can see this. I think it sets the stage for a lot of Tool's work. It's a lot more philosophical, I guess. Yeah,
1: yeah, fi- uh, f- uh, yeah, philosophical and and religion. I think. Uh, where it varies. Yeah, Rage is very much a p- uh, taking fire at the political landscape. Whereas
0: this, yeah, I, I it doesn't really make any political point whatsoever. No, apart from politics of anger. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, yes, yeah, so most of the songs have a roughly similar theme. And the one that I find just really different, and I think, I'm not sure how you feel, but was Disgustipated right at the end. Yeah. And it's just, that one Is the first like song? Well, it's the song on the album that I think you could put almost anywhere else on the other two albums. It would make more sense, whereas the rest of them don't so much.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I I think it works really well as an outro to this album. That it, it it certainly performs that kind of after you've taken in everything that you've just taken in. However many other tracks there are, like seven or eight or whatever, you've taken that in, and it's quite an assault on the senses. And then just to be kind of left with this long or oh, this prolonged dragged out kind of almost hateful at times, a lot of discord. And um, it's, yeah, it's it, it definitely kind of progresses on to what
0: was to follow. It's weird because it's also like, it's quite somehow like primitive or in the, you know, it's just a simple drum, you know? Yes, yeah. And it very much just feels like a bunch of, for, well, the imagery I got was a bunch of like a cult almost just gathering around and, you know, screaming at the top of their lungs with this these drums in the background.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's, I'm just trying to think of what I'm trying to say here. Yeah, it strips back maybe a lot of the over complexity of the rest of the album. Like you don't get a breather in the rest of the album and it's very full on from minute one. And I think just to kind of be left with something very different uh, at the end. Is yeah, it's it's hypnotic almost. It's where the rest of it you might struggle to access because it's just like fast paced fury. I think disgusted it gives you a lot of a lot of
0: downtime to really contemplate what you're listening to. And did you hear the the hidden it's not even a track but the hidden it's recording
1: like five, minute, five minutes of background noise of crickets followed by like a like a, yeah, again, like a almost a
0: religious. Yeah, or whatever it is. <laughs> yeah, so because I tried to make sense of that and couldn't, because at least we live in the 21st century, I can have a Google. Yeah. And apparently, it, so this was on Reddit, so take it with a grain of salt, of course. <laughs> but it was a message that Maynard's landlord left unsolicited on their answer phone. No. That's what they say on Reddit, and if that's true, it's fucking bizarre.
1: Yeah, that's really fucking weird. Yeah, 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 like that's so, yeah, I mean, that would explain why it makes it so hard to make any or to kind of gather any meaning from that it's not really related to the theme of the rest of the album. It's just a, a peculiarity.
0: But tool being tool, it could be, you know, like we recorded this, set it up because it does sound like it's been recorded on an answer phone.
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. And yeah. then they've left it there and put in the liner notes that it was a phone message. You know, that sounds like something tool would do. Yeah, it does. Absolutely.
1: Yeah given given the, the other stories regarding the, the recording of this album about, like, the shotguns and the pianos in the parking lot and stuff like that.
0: Yeah. Yeah,
1: they're up to some weird shit.
0: Well, yeah, so I guess we are sort of drawn up on 40 minutes now, so it's a good opportunity to, I guess, talk about an album you would suggest everyone to listen to, just another album you want to maybe think is so a good Yeah oh well on the
1: basis of you not having listened to it, i was i was tempted to say pet sounds by the beach boys but i do have uh what i think is probably musically i think the greatest album i've ever listened to so i'm gonna recommend greetings from asbury park new jersey by bruce springsteen
0: okay i haven't listened to much bruce bruce springsteen either so that's a
1: so it's it's springsteen's first album so it's it's a long way back it's recorded in the 70s but i just think it's it's a masterpiece it's
0: it's absolutely phenomenal okay well yeah i'll definitely give that a listen the album i had in mind along the the psychedelic rock theme which is rocky erickson's the evil one rocky Erickson. oh yeah okay and it's it's for me like how would i describe it? it's like a character of if jack black could write the perfect rock song right okay (laughs) you know like the the first song on the album is called two-headed dog yeah and it's the only lyrics are essentially two-headed dog it's got like the the vocals just sort of sit over top of it there's driving 70s guitars yeah and it's just i I don't know how else to describe it except for a character of rock and roll somehow almost like (laughs) spinal tap-esque oh yeah that's that's a good description sweet well i'll definitely give that a listen But it's a serious album somehow. Yeah.
1: All right. (laughs) But yeah, so... Uh, Are you still doing your uh, scoring systems for the albums,
0: or have you given up on that based on the fact it's borderline farcical? uh, No, I'm still doing it because, you know, essentially i put too much effort into it now to give up. (laughs) God, you love a spreadsheet. I'm a management consultant, mate. (laughs) (laughs) So do you want to give these albums a rating out of 10?
1: Yeah, Sure. Oh, Yoshimi's a tough one because it probably means more to me than its actual ability than its actual kind of what it is, this uh, is
0: why it's a farcical process right
1: yeah right exactly yeah so i would say for me yoshimi battles of pink robots is probably a nine out of ten like i don't think it, i i'm aware it's not perfect i'm aware it's not a ten but i think given given what it is capable of producing in me uh and how long it has remained at the forefront of my most listened to albums i think i would give it a 9 Tool, oh, like it's a very good album it's it's got a lot to it it's very thought provoking as well but maybe i don't think it's as good now as it was then if that makes any sense like i think it's probably inspired a lot of people to produce very good albums and uh, like bands like corn and system of a down have probably benefited from Tool opening up that aspect rather than grunge. Uh, so I would probably give it like a, a 7.5 out of 10.
0: Okay, Yep. Yeah, so for me, Undertow stuff is the same thing in that it's just an album I like in a sort of a rational way. Yeah. So for me, it's probably a 9.5. Yeah. I think a big part of that is because I spend so much time in the gym listening to it.
1: Yeah, and yeah. You
0: know, I like being in the gym, and so I associate this album with something yeah. i like doing so uh yeah and then for yashimi probably because i want to go back there's a pun well i want to go back and listen to it and get more and more out of this album so it's obviously resonated with me at some level so i'd have to say an eight
1: sweet I'm, i mean i'm happy with that yeah i was i when i recommended it i thought this could go one of two ways you could think it's really good or you could just be like what the fuck mate that's a two
0: no, I, I think I there's only been one or two albums that I've given a really low score to. Well,
1: yeah, I, I heard that that you'd given a really low score to Bonnie Bear, and I thought shit, like that would have been that would have been up there as one of my potential tens.
0: Yeah, i oh, I tell you what, album I gave one of the lowest scores to, and I've, I've got another recording in three hours with a mate in New Zealand for. So spoiler alert, I don't like Lamb of God's luck, <laughs> uh, Ashes in the Wake or whatever it is.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean. Tool, I think, is more accessible than Lamb of God, frankly. I think maybe just just an, an inability to access something like Lamb of God can cost it.
0: Yeah, Tool, for me, like, I, I love heavy metal, but Tool Metallica is kind of the edge of that.
1: Yes, it's, it's thoughtful and it's kind of measured. You can understand where they're coming from.
0: Yeah.
1: Just it? like suicidally hateful thrash metal is just too much.
0: Yeah. I'm not sure if I'll keep this in the podcast. I might edit it out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just so get, or I'll release this one just after that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, as a footnote to the other one. No, all right. Well, thanks for coming on. No worries, man. Been a pleasure. All right. Cheers, mate.